grumpy old man. And I don't like things now compared to the way they used to be. Relatively conservative, right? Stories ended up being bogus. We all have to start being a lot more gentle and forgiving. We all have to start being a lot more gentle and forgiving with each other. I'd always been mindful of just how lucky I am. You know, mm-hmm. how privileged coming from Canada and living in Norway and, you know, I've never experienced war or poverty. They might really be like, no, you're not. According to me, you're not. And I'm like, well, sorry, you don't get to decide. I get to say who, what I am. We all have to start being a lot more gentle and I got it on in a band of Woodstock, so I'm not judging anybody. I, I, get, I just found myself getting sick of ex-Mormons. So if only they were willing to concede the point that if they get to identify what I am, then I get to identify what they are. And nobody likes, <laughs> let alone a woman. Who is The downfall of the world. <laughs> <laughs> this is Infants on Thrones. The philosophies of men mingled with humans. We are the core. Welcome back to Infants on Thrones. I'm Glenn Ostland, and today I am joined by fellow infant Bob and longtime listener and once upon a time short-lived host of Mormon Stories Europe, Claudia Reppin-Fox. I think I said that right, Claudia. Forgive me if I didn't. And honestly, I'm, I'm at a little bit of a loss to put a title on this episode and to label our discussion in any way. It was just fascinating, enjoyable, super fun, super interesting. You know, we didn't go into this with any particular agenda other than to pick up sort of where the panel left off with the recent Jordan Peterson versus Sam Harris truth discussions. I will explain it in the course of the discussion, but we ended up talking about so much more like the time I invited myself to a lunch with Sam Harris, Michael Shermer, and Brian Dalton. I mean, wouldn't you? Um, Claudia's work with asylum seekers in Norway. Uh, And if there's uh, an overall pattern to the discussion, it might be this. The the gradual pendulum-swinging move from right-leaning conservative TBM to left-leaning bleeding-heart liberal back to the stark reality that some people really do lie and take advantage of kindness and charity and the many horrible things that drove us out of Mormonism are just as, if not more so, horrible in other non-Mormon places as well. And what do you do with that? We talked about our shared concern about the direction of an increasingly tribalistic society where everyone seems to require from everyone else constant declarations of loyalty for their chosen righteous pet cause du jour while simultaneously setting constant traps for all outsider non-adherents to fail. I introduced a thought experiment about the early Mormon church and the current Mormon church asking, is this maybe an example of a liberal left-leaning personal revelation, follow your own bliss organization towards a far-right conservative, just pay, pray, and obey organization. And then spattered throughout this episode are a lot of different clips. We've got clips from Jordan Peterson and Lindsay Shepard, 
Uh, Lindsay Shepard was the Canadian academic who was fired this last December for showing her students a video of a Jordan Peterson debate that was on public TV. And she secretly recorded her firing, and you'll get to hear some snippets of that audio and the reasons that she was given for her firing. There's a clip that I'm really excited about, some never-before-heard footage, and possibly never-again-heard footage, of a Jonathan Haidt interview that I was able to personally record with him in his office in New York last November. And in this clip, Haidt talks about a lot of these same issues, uh, the trends that he sees in universities and in society in general, and the struggle that he's personally having to balance what you might call a faithful optimism against a rational pessimism. And I'm so glad that I'm able to use these clips. They're so good and so important to consider. We also have a little brief loving tribute to Dana Carvey's grumpy old man character, some clips from the TV show Freaks and Geeks, and we just had a lot of fun along the way, including some little editing fun that I had with an unfortunate choice of words that may make Bob a little annoyed with me, but it's all done out of a spirit of love and jest and, you know, in the long run, it was just totally, totally worth it. So yeah, it's a lot, right? But it's a great episode. I love this episode. And if this is what happens when we just sit down without an agenda and shoot the shit with longtime listeners to compare the parallelity, and I'm going to just mint that as a brandly newific word, the parallelity of our parallel journeys, then I want to talk to more longtime listeners. Now, if you think that you could be one of those longtime listeners, drop us an email. Let us know. Maybe we'll have a conversation with you and include a bunch of clips and <laughs> something like that. But anyway, so that's what you're going to hear. So now sit back, buckle up, and let us help you hopefully enjoy the next hour and 55 minutes of your life. Hi. Hey. How's it going? Not too bad, you guys. <laughs> Good. Good. Yeah. Sorry, I spaced it. Like the the last thing that I wrote here on this Facebook f- thread, I never even went back and read all of the rest of the stuff that was on here. So I didn't even see that until now. So it's a good thing you texted me, Bob. Because <laughs> I, I mean, I've got time to do it. But yesterday I was slammed. Um, <laughs> I'm like, hey, Glenn, remember how yeah. we committed to this thing that's happening right now? <laughs> see, yeah, like, <laughs> I don't remember. I, I didn't see a commitment. I, I saw like, a, I could, I could, but I don't see the actual confirmation. That, but Well, there was no like signing done. in triplicate, but. <laughs> yeah. I figured something would come up, so. Yeah, no, good. Well, I'm, I'm, I'm glad. We're, I thought I maybe you were like Jake and you were not in bed yet. <laughs> no, no, no. I, I get up early. What I, I didn't realize that you did, uh, uh, that there even was a Mormon stories Europe. Well, the, <laughs> there, there was a Mormon stories Europe for like a short period of time. Um, it was me and, and Henning Müller, a German guy. Okay. I know the name. Sort of. Yeah. But he's sort of, uh, he's joined the community of Christ. And I think he's sort of uh, really disconnected from, from Mormonism for the most part. So we, we really didn't get anywhere in Mormon stories Europe. Yeah. It's so hard to get Europeans to talk about religion, <laughs> especially bet. Mormonism. So uh, we, didn't, we didn't really get too far on that. But um, yeah. So podcasting, I really haven't done anything since, since that uh, Mormon Stories Europe interview. How long ago was that? Oh, it's been like two and a half years. Oh, okay. So it's been a while. Yeah, it's been a while. 
So we should and just pretend I, it doesn't exist and then, and just like start over and be like, hey, this is Claudia. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, the problem is that I, I really feel disconnected from Mormonism too. <laughs> I, I think the sign that I've moved on is I, I don't even listen faithfully to Mormon stories anymore. <laughs> the only Mormon-themed podcast I li- listen to faithfully is you guys. <laughs> Oh, thank Aww. you. And that's as it should be. No. That's as it should be. <laughs> we used to think people would like graduate from Mormon stories to infants on thrones in some way. And they're like, we transcend yeah. some, something. But I think people just graduate from us eventually too. And they're like, you know, oh, we don't completely. need podcasting no. for Mormonism at all. Yeah, I know. Yeah, I don't know. I don't, I don't see myself graduating from you guys because... We seem to sort of be on like parallel journeys. Now, I don't know if it's just coincidence or if you guys have influenced me, but uh, I'm sure you guys have been a big influence because it seems like all the, I really, there's only three podcasts I listen to faithfully. It's you guys, mm-hmm. Sam Harris, and that's yes. because of you guys. <laughs> oh, really? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And there's this other one podcast I really love. They're like the the infants of, of, on thrones of, of um, ex-Muslims. They're called the, the secular jihadists. Hmm. Oh, really? And yeah, and they're really good. So those are the only three that yeah, I listen to. That's faith. very eclectic, though. Like, how, how did you get that third one in your rotation? Uh, well, in recent years, I've spent so much time just as a strange hobby reading about, like, jihad and, and studying... Um, Islam through after my my work with with refugees asylum seekers back a few years ago so I, re- I became super in- interested in it mm. and um, and uh, came kind of too close to comfort with some really uh, yeah um, sort of extremist views in some people that I wasn't expecting oh, really? and so yeah so I was I was trying to figure it out and uh, and that reading a whole bunch of books and and just following the um, the the ex-Muslim community, it's really interesting. There's a lot of a lot of parallels to Mormonism. That seems that seems like a lot more dangerous. Uh, yeah, line to toe than you know, like making fun of Thomas Monson or something. You know, like <laughs> yeah. I don't know if the secular jihadists have like a I'm too sexy with a, their version of Packer. I, I don't think that would go over very well. But I don't know. I'd be afraid to do that if if more yeah. like Muslim. No, there there uh, there are some pretty pretty brave uh, guys. The 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 secular jihadists. They're they're two guys who live in Canada, actually. They're, they're Canadian, but they're a Pakistani and Iranian background. And, mm. uh, um, yeah, but they've talked to some, they've had some pretty conservative Muslims on their podcast, but uh, their mission they, is like for a Muslim, Muslim enlightenment. So they're are, really are, good. Are they accessible? Like, we, we should talk with them. We should do like a yeah, I, I, and secular jihadist and compare notes. And I've thought about that, actually, because I... I, I've messaged, messaged them. Um, the the one guy, um, Armin Navabi, he's the the founder of Atheist Republic. You know that um, Facebook um, site, and he's written a book. And also the other guy, uh, Ali Rizvi, he's he's written a book called The Atheist Muslim. Mm. And uh, so they're they're really involved. Like they they go to all these big conferences, uh, oh. and they've met uh, Richard Dawkins and all that. So. Well, wow. I met Sam Harris, so. but the, yeah. and Michael Shermer, and 
Brian. You met Sam Harris? How did you meet Sam Harris? You didn't know this? Well, you, you did, didn't, Glenn? Yeah. This was, oh, this was probably like six years ago um, that, that, um, that there, there's a guy, uh, Tyson Jacobson, who's a big supporter or was at the time a big supporter of, of John DeLynn and Mormon Stories. And um, so he arranged this lunch in L.A. between Sam Harris, Michael Shermer, Brian Dalton. And, you know, John DeLim was invited and John Larson and Zilpha were invited and Randy was invited. And then I found out through Randy and I'm like, well, get me in there. I want to go. <laughs> so like now every time I see Tyson, he's, it's kind of like that. Yeah, yeah, you invited yourself into my party kind of thing. I'm like, yeah, you bet yourself. Uh, how can I say this emphatically? You, you bet your damn self I did. <laughs> yeah. So, so yeah, we, we, uh, it was really cool. We, we, took um i think 30 minutes each there were three tables that they like rotated around so we got 30 minutes with sam harris and 30 minutes with Shermer and 30 minutes with uh brian dalton mr deity and then we all had like a big you know put the chairs around a circle and everybody talked and brian dalton just held court and everybody just laughed at what he was talking about but, <laughs> yeah he sort of railroads through other people sometimes yeah. i remember when we interviewed him there yes. were some things that we kind of wanted to parse out or challenge but it just it wasn't yeah. It didn't yeah. work out that way. <laughs> well, I knew that. I knew that Bob had had at least. A, you've actually talked to Sam Harris. <laughs> well, I, yeah, I had my cameo because I yeah. I rushed I rushed the mic and asked him a question at one of his shows. I like. No, I, I, I had the I had the rare privilege of of walking with Randy as as we're walking to this lunch and Sam Harris comes walking on the on the sidewalk with us and so we're we're meeting him for the first time and saying hi you know we're going to be having lunch with you today and. Nice guy. And Randy, the very first thing, I mean, what would you expect from Randy? <laughs> the first thing that Randy says to him was, I got a real beef with you. You know, oh, or like on. something like, like <laughs> yeah, I, I take issue and, and just like kind of watching Sam's face kind of like, who the hell is this guy? But he had like this little twinkle, this little smile. And I was like, all right, let's hear it. What do you got? <laughs> and I don't even remember what the issue was. I just remember feeling a, a little bit mortified, but mostly supremely entertained. I hope this doesn't sound, this doesn't come across like it's too much dick measuring. Like, but was yours recorded? Well, I walked with him on the sidewalk. <laughs> You're <laughs> just, on the podcast. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I mean, but, but we, we, we had a conversation with him um, for 30 minutes, which wasn't just like standing up and asking a question. No, totally. You, you win for sure. Yeah, it's yeah, just, it's I mean, just not documented. That's all I'm saying. I mean, yeah. no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> yeah. No, and, 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 it, and it's been six years. And if you guys didn't even know about it, then I guess it really hasn't been something that I've been totally obnoxious about. I, um, now that you mentioned, I think flag. I remember, I think it was before I got into his stuff as I am now. Um, yeah. And even before six years ago, I feel like he's kind of exploded to a new level since then. Cause that was oh, a yeah. podcast yeah. and half of, Probably like half of his books were written. I'm probably butchering that. Maybe maybe most of them still were written. I don't I don't know. Yeah, I think it was even pre infants. Oh really? Oh, so it was like Mormon Expression days. It it, it may it may have been like it, it may have been right when we started, okay. um, but but we hadn't really done much. It, it was isn't, either then or it was a year before. So it was either six or seven years ago. Okay, Tyson Jacobson, isn't he the one that was on the infamous super yeah. long episode with, with Randy, Randy. Yeah. On, yeah, yeah. on Mormon Stories? Okay, okay. The other atheist. So that's the other atheist. That, yeah. oh, that makes yeah. sense. That was one of the first Mormon Stories interviews, wasn't it? Or was it? I don't know. Well, uh, uh, post, 
post reboot because Mormon story started in like 2005 and went for a while, but then took a hiatus and then came back. So I think it might've been one of the big ones right after it came back or something. Um, so anyway, but now Claudia, I want to learn more about your working with refugees. That sounds intense and something like not everybody would be willing to do. (laughs) How did that tell us more about how that came to be? Well, it was here in Norway. Um, this was back in 2010. Um, I was just leaving Mormonism, uh, finally done with it. I mean, I, I'd been in the process of leaving it for years in my head, but um, May 2010 was the last time I went to church. And so I was looking for this, I don't know, maybe sort of a replacement, just something to do, something meaningful. Mm-hmm. And uh, here in Norway, we have these um, refugee reception centers um, because Norway, especially during that time, was getting a lot of asylum seekers. Mm-hmm. Uh, really, that's the correct term as asylum seekers. Um, refugees are those who get refugee status and a residence permit. Now, that, that can take, it's a long process for a lot of people. People are really good at donating stuff, but not time. You know, nobody mm-hmm. would actually come in and want to talk to people. Yeah. And uh, so I decided to do that one day and, and it was super interesting. Like people met people from all over the world, uh, mostly Iraq, Afghanistan, Somalia, um, you know, a lot of these war torn countries. And um, so ended up spending hours there my first day and, and kept on going back. And I was just, uh, overwhelmed by everybody's hospitality like they were just it was like they were starved for conversation and and because most of them at least some of them could speak decent English Mm -hmm. um, we were able to communicate and so I spent a good three years this was all volunteer work I I I worked there for a very short time um, in between jobs but other than that I was I was doing it just as volunteer and just because I enjoyed it and I learned a lot about people and what it, what motivates them to, to come, for example, to Norway or any other European country and about the journey and, wow. and the asylum process that they face here. And I guess I, I realized then I'd always been mindful of just how lucky I am, you know, mm-hmm. how privileged coming from Canada and moving to Norway and, you know, I've never experienced war or poverty. And but Claudia, so- why, why would you want to do those, any of those things if you weren't Mormon anymore? I mean, I don't understand. Like, just like a self-imposed shut-in because nobody's forcing you to do service anymore. So why do it? <laughs> and that's kind of tongue-in-cheek, but it's actually legitimate. <laughs> but, but what's in it for you? <laughs> <laughs> well, that's the thing. No <laughs> celestial kingdom, you know? <laughs> For the first while, it it was well, you know, it, it kind of was all about me because I genuinely enjoyed it. I, what was the pretense? Was it just they they were in need of conversation, or were you helping them fill yeah. out forms, or or is it just oh, literally like cultural? You know, I don't know what what the right word is, but just mostly just like just being their friend, but also helping them to navigate a, a new society and yeah, like okay. filling out forms and even uh, writing petition letters um, for their asylum cases. And I would invite them to my home and we'd have dinners and, and they would invite us. And, and really they, they treated like me and, and my husband like royalty. Like I, I really can't say anything negative about the way that 
that I was treated. It took about two or three years. It's like I, I was peeling off the, the layers of an onion. And at first, everything was just so wonderful. I had all these new and exciting, interesting friends, and they were so warm. And, and then it was like suddenly the same themes that, that frustrated me so much in Mormonism mm. came to the surface only they were much stronger, <laughs> especially to do to do with like women's issues and mm-hmm. the gender segregation. Of course, is I mean we have it in Mormonism, but in in Islam it's like tenfold <laughs> right. at least, and and that was really frustrating. And also, eventually, I I discovered that um, some people that I had really no reason to to distrust in the beginning ended up um betraying my trust in the sense that i i really put myself out there in a very public way to advocate for some of them and their story stories ended up being bogus oh wow and uh so there was a level of of distrust that started to grow and on, on top of that um when I really started to pull away was uh, um, when I encountered a couple of people, a couple completely separate incidents, um, both people that I considered friends that I'd invited into my home and didn't suspect as having uh, extremist views, but uh, both of them expressed some some views that I just found, frankly, frightening. And uh, one of them started sharing ISIS propaganda just around the time ISIS was really starting to, to make a name for itself. And I thought, mm-hmm. oh, yes. <laughs> like, and, and also around that same time, um, it was in the news here uh, of um, uh, a man who was also living at this center. He, he lived there before I came, so I, I didn't know him personally, but he ended up being involved in the, the Kenyan uh, mall massacre. Jeez. Yeah, so it's uh, it's interesting to hear you say this because I, I you know I I I think we're going to talk a little bit about Jordan Peterson today at some point, but mm-hmm. but kind of what you're saying almost mirrors my like my response to Jordan Peterson because you know like being raised Mormon, I thought myself as being you know staunch Republican and all of this stuff and read. Ayn Rand and, you know, Atlas Shrugged. I'm like, yeah, everybody needs to lift their own weight. And, and once you have this society that is just taking care of people, then you're, they're, you're just going to have people that take advantage of you and betray you and they lie to you and they're self-interest and you're incentivizing things like that. But then as I started going through my faith crisis, I started like going, oh, no, that that's what assholes think. You know, I, I need to be yeah. kind and loving and empathetic and, yeah. and then... And, and and I think that's kind of where you were. You're like, oh, I'm going to I'm going to do yeah. this thing with the refugees. Then you're like, oh, wait a minute. Some maybe some of these things are actually legit. Why people mistrust and totally put a thing on no. there. And and that's been my like as I've listened to the Jordan Peterson audiobook that I couldn't get through because it sounded like he was this really stern, angry guy yelling at me the whole time. <laughs> Kermit like, the I, Frog I, yelling at you. <laughs> yeah, like the angry Muppet. Um, I I. Th- but but I started thinking, okay, well, uh, maybe there is a role in conservatism of being at least more careful and being a little bit more guarded, a little bit suspicious, not quite so yeah. naive, wearing your heart on your sleeve, you're going to get hurt. Like, but but then again, like, where's the balance? Like, you know, I don't know where the balance is in that. But it, so anyway, it's interesting. 
I totally get what you're saying, Glenn. Yeah. And, and I, I like to hear your guys' opinion on something because this is something I've been thinking about for a while. Um, when you leave Mormonism, and now, mind you, I did, I'm not American, right? I'm Canadian. Um, the Mormonism, well, that changes I, everything. It no. does change a lot. <laughs> Although things have changed from what I've heard back home now. Um, it's like, yeah, Republican country in, in Ontario, Canada. <laughs> oh, interesting. Yeah, yeah. Things have really changed from, from when I grew up. Um, now, so I did not get this, like, hyper-conservative Republican brand of Mormonism, but still we grew up relatively conservative, right? So um, once I left Mormonism, uh, and I found this a lot of, with my other friends who left Mormonism around the same time, it's almost like you become hyper-liberal, right? You, you, I think a lot of people tend to go really hard to the left, yeah. You just want to love everybody. It's almost like you're, you're like a hippie, right? Yeah. Like gays, I love them. You know, minorities, blacks, everybody, I love them. I just want to show everybody how much I love you, right? <laughs> <laughs> I'm and, so sorry for being white, male, heterosexual. Yes. <laughs> I embrace all, but not myself nearly as much as anyone else because I know I'm privileged. Yeah. Shout it from the rooftops. <laughs> and then... At least you're uh, a woman, so you've got that, you know. <laughs> and then I've just found in the past maybe two or three years, um, I don't know what it is. I think, actually, I think I do know what it is. It's a combination of seeing what Mormon, Mormon feminism became. Uh-oh, here we go. That <laughs> shit show, I'm just going to say it. <laughs> it's just, it was just so disappointing and so off-putting that um i just found myself losing losing i guess my my sympathy for uh i i I just found myself getting sick of ex-mormons or like post-mormons you mean because they're all sort of bumbling through some of the basics of figuring out how to how to interact with your fellow being yeah. you know, other humans and they sort of overcompensate for what they did to, I mean, I, yeah, like that's I, my theory too, a little bit. Cause I, I've, I've, I followed a similar trajectory wherein after coming out of Mormonism, there was like several years where I wouldn't be caught dead, not loving and accepting everything and everyone. And, mm-hmm. you know, subscribing to the fact that you can't ever say that there's a problem with any sort of identity because then that means that you're attacking somebody personally or I don't even know how to describe it, but then it's again, also in the last few years, it's sort of changed. There's, there's more to dissect and there's more to criticize than there is to embrace sometimes. (laughs) Yeah. Um, Like I, I found myself when I did try to engage in, in anything Mormonism as a Mormon feminism, um, it's like, okay, I'm, I'm female, I'm part minority, I'm only half white, and I'm still, I find myself, I, I, I'm just, I'm too white, I'm too male, I'm too, <laughs> I just, I'm Wait, you're good. too male? <laughs> I know, like, <laughs> I just, I just found that it, it was, it became impossible to, to engage even for somebody like me who should be like the poster girl for uh, a lot of what Mormon feminism claims to stand for. So, 
So did you try to do all that after, after leaving Mormonism, though? The whole disappointment with Mormon fem- feminism, yeah. where did that fit into your 2010 timeline? Because that mostly was... That came after. Right. Well, I was sort of, when I left, I was still sort of like plugged in, ordained women in the uh-huh. beginning. I really loved it. Like, yeah. I wasn't a part of it, but I thought it was a great idea. idea. Sure. And I, I still do. I mean, uh, yeah. Kate Kelly then, I thought, was amazing. She was. Uh, don't get me started on Kate Kelly now. But. <laughs> <laughs> you brought her up. I didn't, but feel free to keep going. We'll just uh, sit here and listen. <laughs> oh, it's a whole other podcast, I think. But um, uh, I just sort of started to lose interest and then um, sort of pulled away, I guess, from, from a lot of things, Mormon, and started becoming more interested in, in Islam and, and all that stuff. But also politically... Um, I don't know, it's like what has happened after Trump it's like I'm just so disillusioned just so sick of both sides uh-huh. I don't have any outrage left <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> that's well, kind of a good thing the fact that there are yeah. only two sides to really discuss is i mean maybe that's too meta but i've the idea yeah. that when you meet people it's like which side are you on are you crazy in this way or that way and it's like oh i'm my name's yeah. bob i i'm not on yeah, the side yeah like it's picking sides it's left or right and uh whether it's american politics or, or european politics um and I, I don't have the right to vote any, anywhere anymore. I don't have the right to vote in Norway, <laughs> Norway because I'm not a citizen. And I lost my right to vote in Canada because I've been gone for more than five years. So well, I don't have the right to vote anywhere. You're in no man's land or, or no, no woman's land. <laughs> yeah. But I mean, I could vote for, for any party. I, I, just, I have to pick an issue and go with it, right? Because I think each party has a has a deal breaker for me but also has some things that that i i think are a good idea and so claudia would you would you lift your microphone up just a little bit because it keeps hitting the cord uh, there we go is that better yeah that'll that'll be better (laughs) yeah but also like going back to this thing about mormonism when when you leave it you tend to go really hard left but Mm -hmm. i find that maybe now uh i don't know if you guys can relate, but I just sort of feel like the pendulum swinging back towards more towards the center and even just exploring things on the, on the right. And and even, uh, yeah, with Jordan Peterson, like how I even discovered him, I, it's not that long ago. I I really haven't been following him for very long at all. Um, I can't consider myself an, an expert on him by any means, but I almost didn't, want to read anything about him because I think the first mention of him that I remember was actually by um, a Facebook friend who is this guy from my ward in old ward in Canada. I don't have any contact with him now, but we're Facebook friends and he's hyper conservative, right? Like really hard, hardcore Republican, um, even though he's Canadian. And um, he was sharing some, some news about Jordan Peterson. I thought, oh, who is this guy? Like, if this guy is promoting him, then uh-huh. it's not somebody I'd be interested in. But Sure, we uh, do that all the time, right? Like, oh, that's that friend of mine, so that can't be 
useful information. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Although I'm still friends with that person and I still click and read and see things that he or she posts, but uh, yeah, I take it with a grain of salt or whatever. Yeah. So, so let, let's explain the genesis, Bob, of um, even why we're having the conversation with Claudia today, um, but sure. like all the behind the scenes, because um, it, it started with the episode that we did about truth and Jordan Peterson. And I think Claudia, you had a comment on our Facebook page yeah. and then, and then we just started having some private conversations about it. Um, but, but I, I'm not as well-versed in that. I think uh, Bob was more uh, engaging with you in those conversations. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, and I, I don't want to limit it only, I mean, that's the, the genesis for this conversation. But Claudia, I've seen you commenting on our Facebook posts. Uh, I've had sort of like a, a, a reverse crush on you for a while because I've always found your comments <laughs> super insightful. Um, and I'm like, oh, yeah, I, and, I like and, this and, fan. That's nice because I wasn't sure that anyone, anyone was reading them. <laughs> oh, no, and, and, and the, I've, I've used your, your outro, the Norwegian outro. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, Couple many times. times. I love yeah, that. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. That's yeah. right. Yeah. So, but this conversation specifically, I think what happened was, as we often do on Infants on Thrones, we try to just color outside of the Mormon box a little bit and say, hey, world out there, meaning whoever listens to us, is it okay if we talk about something that isn't just ex-Mormonism? And usually there's like a, a vocal minority, I don't know how big they are, that says, no, that is not okay. <laughs> and they come and explain why. And this is one of those cases. So we talk about, we talked about Jordan Peterson versus Sam Harris and their conversation on truth and their different interpretations of it. And if you go to the, the website entry uh, on our site for that, there's like nearly a hundred comments that are really about the fact that we talked about Jordan Peterson without the disclaimer that he's a raging lunatic. Um, like the fact that we wanted to have a contextual conversation about a singular topic and a singular conversation between two intellectuals wasn't allowed because of the baggage associated with one of them. And it was and, an extension of a listener essay. Yeah. You know, Christian Braithwaite talked about his listener essays. Like, okay, well, let's, it, yeah, it, it was just strange how it kind of blew up. Anyway. Yeah. Yeah. And so, um, so then we kind of did this back and forth. A lot of us infants on, on the, on the website on trying to engage with some of these listeners who some of them were more thoughtful than others in the way that they were commenting, but it, it really boiled down to, um, don't you have any idea how bad of a person Jordan Peterson is because of this? And he's, you know, you know, deceiving us and doing all this stuff. And, uh, you, you're not allowed to have an association by association, or you're not allowed to even have a conversation about someone if you haven't first given the disclaimer that, that they're of how problematic they are. So, uh, Claudia, I reached out to you because you made some interesting comment and I, and I kind of knew through the grapevine that you were Canadian and this is very naive of me to be like, you're Canadian. Can you explain the, <laughs> the Canadian laws that everyone's saying Jordan Peterson is, you know, butchering and, and overstating his point, which by the way, has nothing to do with the conversation we were having, but I just like to know, you know, why it's so bad what he's doing that we can't talk about the other thing that he's doing um, anyway. So that's, that's where this, that probably didn't help Glenn, but I, I tried. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I'm trying to figure out also, well, what is it that's so bad that about him that we, we can't talk about him or that we need to have this huge disclaimer uh, because 
So I, I, I listened to his book on, on Audible this past spring um, because after, like I said, I discovered him through this Mormon uh, Facebook friend of mine. Um, I started to see his name in, in Canadian media and um, he really made a name for himself a few months ago, especially in the wake of uh, this controversy. Uh, those who followed Jordan Peterson might have heard about the Lindsay Shepard case. And mm-hmm. she's a young professor at a Canadian university. I believe it was Wilfrid Laurier um, University. And she, in one of her, I think it might have been a sociology class. Um, anyway, she, she showed an old clip uh, of Jordan Peterson from, I think it was a TVO, TV Ontario um, uh, show he was on. Um, I haven't seen the clip myself um, where he's he's talking about this controversy surrounding the gender-neutral pronouns. And um, so this professor, she... And she was an assistant, right? She was like a assistant professor. Not, not tenured, old, yeah, not yeah. Tenured. Yeah. yeah, that's right. I think I think that's right. So um, she, I don't think she personally had a, a stance on the issue, but she wanted to to show her students that there <clears throat> there was actually two sides to this issue, and wanted to discuss them both. And so she showed this clip in uh, one of her lectures, and and ended up being reported by uh, one of her students um, who complained. I think that. Uh, was it a microaggression or, you know, one of those? Yeah, I, I was going to say he or she, but maybe that's not the correct <laughs> pronoun, right? I, I don't know. <laughs> You're messing up already. You're messing up already. <laughs> it's on your record. You don't know how to use the right pronouns. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, so she was called in by, um, by uh, <clears throat> um, the, the yeah, her boss at the end, the dean, right? Yeah. And, um, and she had... I don't know why, but I don't, she ended up recording the meeting, I guess. And I I read the transcript. I think I heard the recording as well. And it was actually really outrageous the way that she was treated. And, and she, uh, they they compared her to Hitler and, and, uh, and she was. Milo Yiannopoulos is, I don't know how, if that's how you pronounce his name or not, but I remember he made that story go viral, didn't he? <laughs> well, well they, they, they said that she's just like him or Hitler. Oh, right. Okay. In what yeah. she's doing. <laughs> or, or, yeah. or, or something about how you wouldn't want to promote what people like they said or, you know, something. Right. Like, or maybe comport, comparing Jordan Peterson to them. And, <laughs> and also, also um, threatened her with, with um, you know, legal trouble because um, they claimed she was in violation of these... You know, hate speech laws. Am I supposed to comfort them and uh, make sure that they are insulated away from this? Like, is that what the point of this is? Because to me, that is so against what a university is about. So against it. I was not taking sides. I was presenting both arguments. So I don't see how I'm doing a disservice to the class by exposing them to ideas that are really out there. And I'm sorry I'm crying. I'm stressed out because this to me is so wrong. In a university, all perspectives are valid. That's not necessarily true. I don't see what's transphobic about showing a video of Jordan Peterson. He's a real person. He's he's out there. He is a real person, but he is a real person who has engaged in targeted behavior of trans students 
like giving out their personal information so that they will be attacked. But this is like neutrally playing uh, a speech by, by Hitler or, or Milo Yiannopoulos from Gamergate. What's kind of funny is I disagree with Jordan Peterson. <laughs> I disagree. I don't think I gave away any kind of political position of mine. I remained very neutral. And uh... I, that's kind of the problem. Lindsay, yeah. did you expect this? Um, so I never thought that you could get in trouble for showing something that was on TV Ontario, um, which is a public <laughs> broadcaster. And and so it, it was really shocking that someone took serious offense to that. And so when they sent me an email summoning me to a meeting and they said that there's going to be an official from the diversity and equity office there, I thought, OK, well, I think they're going to be ridiculous. So if they are, then I need to have proof of it happening. Lindsay, that's one thing I've been really curious about is the fact that you were inclined to record this is something that I don't know if people have delved into with enough depth. I mean, why were you thinking that this might be sufficiently dangerous? Good question. Um, I mean, I'm familiar with the environment of universities and especially in arts and humanities programs. Um, and so it really was just the email that said, diversity and equity official. Um, and I thought, you know, if if they're going to make accusations against me, which they ended up doing, they ended up accusing me of violating like a human rights code, right? Two um, federal yeah. and provincial. Yes. And also I violated the university's gendered violence and sexual assault policy. Um, yes, now, can you tell us how? How did you violate the sexual assault policy? Um, because by proxy of showing Dr. Peterson's views, um, I created a transphobic environment and legitimized transphobia, which makes me transphobic. But this so, is part of the problem is that uh, everybody, yeah. well, by everybody, I say, I think this goes back to your ex-Mormons kind of going hard left when they first come out. It's really obvious coming out, out of an organization that's very top heavy and sort of authoritarian to know what's wrong intrinsically as you have your faith crisis you're like okay i i get it there's these old white men who are telling you know women minorities not just that but all of us even even the white males uh how to live and how to be and don't deviate from the path and then you the veil is lifted from your eyes and you're like that is a that is a bad system but then you don't have the equivalent experience um until much later, unless you're doing a lot of research or um, there's just no reason for you to know what it's like for the left to, to get out of hand. Because as, as Mormons, that's, that wasn't the problem we face. So the left getting out of hand is just this hypersensitivity to everyone having to be protected and everyone's like a, a wilting flower. And, you know, it's kind of the opposite of personal responsibility. You have to preemptively know how to address someone before you even know who they are. But that's on you, not on them, because, because they're, you know, perhaps it's, it's hard for the world around them to know who they are and their identity is complicated. But that doesn't necessarily mean that they're entitled to everyone knowing who they are and those sorts of things. So then you get these universities, especially where um, students feel... And, and professors, now there's this whole thing where they, they feel like they're entitled to being safe all the time and that personal responsibility is lower on the priority list. And it's all about, well, I, I shouldn't be put in harm's way. And it's like, well, dude, when you walk out the door, <laughs> you're going to have to like 
own up to some complicated things that, that you're going to deal with when you engage with people. And so I think we're still having a hard time as a society, not just ex-Mormons, but just understanding how the left to the extreme is also problematic and it's hard yeah. to talk about. I, I, I think, you know, that last November, um, I, I had the opportunity of a lifetime that I got to meet Jonathan Haidt. I got to do a two hour interview with him in his office in New York. It's never been published. It never will be. But one of the things that he said, um, touching on this issue, um, that he was not optimistic for the future, um, at least not the immediate future, because the way that kids are being trained in universities right now is to be hypersensitive and hypervigilant in thinking that words can do real damage. And I'm going to jump in here as I'm editing this. I'm kind of excited for this. This is kind of good news. So I reached out to the guy who was financing that podcast that I was doing last year that kind of all fell apart into a bunch of drama, uh, which I'm not going to talk about. But uh, I asked him if it would be all right if I used like five or ten minutes of this uh, raw audio from Jonathan Haidt. And he said, yeah. Very cool. Thank you very much for doing that. So what you're about to hear right now, uh, you probably won't ever hear again anywhere else. (laughs) Um, And it's Jonathan Haidt talking about whether he's optimistic about the direction that the country is going. And he starts by saying, we just need to be more kind. We need to be more forgiving. We need to take it easy on each other, a lot easier than we have been. And at one point, there was a metaphor that was given about, I I think it was a a Buddhist proverb that says that the foolish man uh, tries to cover the world in leather to try to protect the bottom of their feet. But the wise man just covers his feet in leather. Instead of trying to fix the whole world, you fix your own feet. And so there's there's a few times towards the end of this clip where Haidt is responding to that metaphor of wrapping the world in leather or wrapping your feet in leather. And his main point is our kids aren't even being taught how to have leather on their feet and everything is hurting them. Every little thing is hurting them. Things that shouldn't be hurting them are hurting them. And what's that going to mean when these kids are adults? So anyway, I'm very pleased to include this clip here. We all have to start being a lot more gentle and forgiving with each other. We're coming apart on so many dimensions. And we're making so much progress, like in the late 20th century, like on race, gender, LGBT, like things were getting better so fast. Um, you think about women entering the workplace and the harassment they faced in the 70s was, you know, enormous, I mean, compared to, and it's still there today, but things have gotten, I, I know from my students in business school here, like things are so much better today than they used to be. And, and you know, to be, to show up in college or workplace as a gay person, I mean, so, Things are getting better so fast. And now suddenly it seems like everything's coming apart. And I think the reason is because we have these new forms. As we, as we lose our sense of shared culture, as we become more diverse, which is good in some ways, but because the way we're managing in America is we have more That's enemy. And, we're hand, and what we're doing on campus especially is we're using diversity we're, we're taking diversity and we're handling it with no forgiveness, no love. Mm. It's, it's, we're teaching our students about microaggressions. We're teaching them to take everything in the worst possible way. If someone says something ambiguous, always interpret it in the worst possible way that you can. And so because we're all jumping down each other's throats and social media, boy, does that make it easy. You know, someone says a perfectly innocent comment, somebody tweets it either literally 
or maybe they change a word or maybe they misheard a word. So we're so hard on each other these days, and the costs are, can be so high. People can be fired for one thing they said, maybe a joke they made which wasn't a good joke, maybe it was misreported. So um, I think we have to realize we're too self-righteous, too critical, and then you link us together with social media, and now we have a mob that's too self-righteous and too critical. And I think we all have to realize we just got to go easier on each other, and we mm. have to stop forcing people to declare this, denounce that. We have to be a lot more flexible. Well, I think the trends are pretty much all bad. I don't see any redeeming trends right now. Except, except that because they're getting so bad so fast, um, you know, when the going gets tough, the tough get going, or more accurately, as problems get more severe, more people try to solve. So there are a lot of people. I mean, things have, you know, things were sort of like getting steadily worse. I've been studying polarization for a long time. The number, the, the polarization, however you want to graph it, it's sort of gradually, it's very low in the 30s, 40s, 50s, 60s, very, very low. Wait, the thing to keep your eye on is not like how far apart people are in their attitudes about abortion or something. That's, that's one form of attitude polarization. The thing to look at is affective partisan polarization. That means emotional cross-party polarization. That is, on a scale of 0 to 100, mm -hmm. this is the question asked by the American National Election Survey, uh, feeling thermometer. 0 is very cold, very negative. 100 is very warm, very positive. You know, what do you think about, you know, the president or, or you know, the, the Supreme Court or the Republican Party or the Democratic Party? So if you look at what Democrats think of Republicans, and either it's of the party or of the people, what do Democrats think of Republicans or Republicans think of Democrats? Those numbers were a little negative um, all the way up through the 80s, just a little negative. They're, you know, they're, they're below 50, but they're, they're in the 40s. And then they start taking a nosedive. So it's really in the 90s that a lot of things come together in the 90s. You have two perfectly sorted parties, an all-liberal party and all-conservative party. We didn't have that before, because before the 80s, there were conservative Democrats and there were liberal Republicans. Mm. Now there are none. Um, so a lot of things come together in the 90s, so that this slow creep of like slightly falling you know, ratings plummets in the 90s and 2000, especially 2000. So we really hate each other now. So much so that some people would actually rather have a child molester for their senator than risk the other party getting that Senate seat. And, you know, obviously the Republicans were, you know, being the horrible hypocrites now, but if the shoe was on the other foot, you'd see the Democrats. So things were getting sort of gradually worse from the 90s to the 2000s. And then we had, like, the, the government shutdowns. And, man, that was freaky and terrible. And so that was, like, a little worse. And then we had the election of Trump. And, um, I mean, I'm nonpartisan myself, although I think Trump is a terrible president, and for all the things I care about, civility, polarization, decency, yes, I'm not a fan. Um, but he is, he's both a result of our polarization and alienation that a lot of people voted for him, not thinking that he was going to help them, but they're so angry, so angry, that they want somebody who's going to punch their enemies in the face. So, um, so all the trends are negative, except that because they're now so bad, and now, for the first time, we really have to consider the possibility that the country will fall apart, that we will divide physically, that something terrible will happen and, and there will be violence and, and martial law, and, you know, who knows what can happen. You know, if the power grid goes down, I mean, it could go down for months if, you know, the North Koreans or the Russians, Chinese, anyone who wants to take down the American power grid, they could destroy a few, you know, destroy a few trans, uh, uh, transmission centers, and we could lose power for months. And, I mean, it would be complete chaos and, and, and mayhem. Um, so things are really dire in our future, and this is causing a lot of people to be really scared. 
And a lot of people are now trying to think, what the hell can we do? So there's much more, um, I, you know, I think things are getting steadily worse, and they're going to continue to get worse. But at some point, the reform efforts, the, the, the realization that we're on a sinking ship, we, we've got to stop fighting each other, we've got to actually start plugging the leaks, I think it's gonna, it is starting to kick in. And so, um, so the, you know, it's always been wrong to bet against America. We've had dark times before. So even though I'm pessimistic, I have very little confidence in my pessimism. Young people today <clears throat> in America, and we're seeing it in Britain too, um, and a few other countries, we changed our child-rearing practices in the 90s. We stopped, we were so fearful, we were so protective, we were so afraid our kids would be abducted, we stopped letting them out of our sight. So uh, I'm, reading, I'm reading The Adventures of Tom Sawyer with my daughter, and we're having so much fun, and she's always asking me, you know, tell me about your childhood, Daddy, tell me about the things you did. Because um, kids today don't get unsupervised time. They're always supervised. They're always organized. There's always an adult to work things out. There's anti-bullying policies. They can't insult each other. They can't exclude each other. Um, and so what we're trying to do, what we've been doing with kids since the 90s, is wrapping the world in leather. We're doing everything we can to keep them emotionally safe. I hate that word. Okay. You can feel emotionally pleasant. You can feel emotionally afraid. But if you start thinking about safety versus danger, next thing you know, it's ideas that are safe and dangerous. That's what we have in college now. College students have come to believe or been told that certain, if a certain speaker comes to campus, it's dangerous. That is completely sick to even think in those terms. I mean, if you're saying, if someone's going to come in and say, I think we should kill all the exes or, you know, okay, that's a threat. If you want to talk about that in terms of safety and danger, fine. But if someone comes in saying, you know, I think affirmative action is a bad idea, or I think gender is a social construction, or I think it's not as... I mean, this has nothing to do with safety and danger. You can agree with it or disagree with it. But the new phrase that we hear on college campuses is if somebody says that thing, they are invalidating my experience. They are saying something that contradicts what I know from my lived experience. Okay, fine, they're contradicting. Is that dangerous? Well, students are taught that it is that they should be able to go through life without people invalidating their experience. So if you put forth an idea and I attack it, I say, I think you're wrong and here's why. Here are three reasons why you're wrong. Here's five things you didn't consider. That's safe or dangerous? Wrong answer. The correct answer is irrelevant. Irrelevant. <laughs> it has nothing to do with safety and danger. Okay? But many students now see, you know, an attack on my ideas, an attack on me. This is fatal for university education. And so one of the main reasons I am so pessimist is that iGen, it's called, so kids born in 1995 and after, we used to think that they were millennials up to 98, but, but things really changed for birth year 1995. A new book out by Jean Twenge, T-W-E-N-G-E, shows that rates of depression and anxiety skyrocket for kids born after 1995, especially girls. A lot of reasons for that, social media is part of it, loss of free play, loss of unsupervised play is a big part of it. So Americans in particular, we've messed up our kids by telling them, don't put leather around your feet, don't develop calluses, we're gonna smooth the whole world out for you. Playgrounds, super safe. Oh, we, we, jungle gym, we can't have a jungle gym because someone might fall. Um, in some schools, they discourage having best friends because you're excluding others, and that, that's gonna hurt their feelings. So we're, we've raised a generation of kids to expect the world covered in leather, and then they have to face the internet, which is not covered in leather. And so they're just guaranteed to be unhappy, no, it's not guaranteed, but they're at high risk of well, anxiety and depression, which is what we're seeing. And when this generation, you know, so you know, the millennials are actually pretty tough compared to iGen, but when, you know, when the older generations are all gone, and our democracy is run by millennials and iGen, I don't see how they're going to be able to handle compromise, argument, and democratic discussion. Words can do real damage.
and ideas can do real damage. And they're not learning how to have conversations, how to have difficult discussions. Instead, they're saying, oh, if you disagree with me and it's, it's on one of these you know, protected issues, then um, you've invalidated my worldview. You've invalidated my experience. And that's hatred and a hate crime. And right. you're going to be punished for that. And it's and, also, and, it's also t- taken out of context for everything else that person does. So Jordan Peterson, for better or for worse, we can disagree yeah. on one thing he's done wrong, but that doesn't mean that he needs to be shut out of public life and not taken seriously on any other topic. And that's another thing that's happening is the micro offense, um, or even if it's bigger than that, is taking as, as, a, as like a red flag that's like, therefore, this person is done and you know, if you have something positive to say about this person who I disagree with in a completely different context, then by association, you're similar to them and you must be a bad person too. And then it just like regresses to people can't even talk about topics or people in a certain way without being branded or shunned or labeled in the name of protection for, for the other people who feel like that's too controversial. Right. And the message isn't even getting through a lot of the time because um, I found after after I listened to Peterson's book and read interviews by him, I thought, well, why does my old Facebook friend, Mormon friend, like Jordan Peterson? Honestly, yeah. because what has he read anything that he's actually written? Has he, um, you know, listened or, or read any of his interviews? Because I I really don't get it. Because if you're hoping or believing, like apparently many on the left do, that he is, um, you know, um, uh, homophobic and misogynist and racist and, you know, all the usual stuff, I just, I, I've yet to find it. If it's there, I, I haven't seen it yet. I mean, he is controversial. He says some things that I do find um, are... Provocative. Very provocative, I, yes. I think austere. Austere is a good yeah, word. Okay, sure. Absolutely, yeah. And and I do think he is sometimes walking a fine line. I think especially after um, uh, there was a, an attack in Toronto um, a few months ago where um, 10, 10 people were killed. And um, it was committed by uh, one of these so-called incels. Uh, you guys know what that is? Sort of. Involuntary celibates. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I've heard yeah. about this. Okay. Right. And and yeah. shortly thereafter. I know. I know that the yeah. Go <laughs> keep going. I, I know the phrase that we're about to say, and then we have to unpack it. <laughs> right. The enforced monogamy. There. There it is. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and. You know, that piece, I, I do understand the, his outrage in the sense that, I mean, if you read that piece and if you know anything about him, if you've read his book, uh, I think that people had like, like Handmaid's Tale in mind, I think, when <laughs> they heard, they, they latch on to this, this phrase, enforced monogamy. So it's not what they think, right. but... I'm still I'm still confused as to what it is. <laughs> yeah, I, I heard him talking with Joe Rogan about that. I, I think I, I think they did an episode that came out at the beginning of July. Mm-hmm. And that's I remember where they talked about 
um, this issue, which, yeah, I, I hadn't heard anything about. And even after listening to them talk about it for maybe 10 or 15 minutes, I still wasn't completely clear on uh, what was the problem or what was the proposed solution to it. But yeah, And that's and, the thing with Peterson is that he says, yeah, he's very provocative and I'm okay with somebody being provocative, but I want to hear him expand on it. And sometimes I feel like I'm just not getting that. Like, okay, this enforced monogamy thing and the whole um, Christianity thing. Like, he goes on about, uh, you know, how important Christianity is as, you know, religion or myth or whatever. But I, I think, okay, Jordan, what does that look like to you in, in your world? Because you yourself admit to not going to church. You say it sucks. <laughs> and... Uh, I, I I just don't, he doesn't strike me as as a Christian. He's not a believer. I believe he's admitted to that. Um, well, and, and he's also much more metaphorical than people are willing to admit when they're trying to pick out the things that they really are bothered by. Like this whole right. topic of enforced monogamy, if you, if you pin him on it, it's not like he actually thinks the government should have a policy that enforces people to be monogamous. He's just throwing out interesting contra ideas that that are worth discussing because uh, in this case, the, the, the opposite is that um, in this freewheeling society where people don't value intimate relationships like they used to and it's just all fun and games, and so then you have a cohort that can't get any any relationships and then you have others that are just playing with it and not taking it seriously, he's saying, well, if you flip that on its head maybe enforced monogamy um, could work out better for some of these people, but he's not actually proposing it as an, as an implementation as much as he's just throwing out ideas and discussions for different ways of living and the different consequences from it. But people really, you know, and maybe, and maybe there is a part of him that's doing it for effect because, you know, it, it helps boost his audience or whatever. So there is, you know, we shouldn't be too forgiving because I am a little cynical that like, I don't know exactly where this word usage came from, but of course it's going to outrage so many people that it's just going to be like a, a great traffic boost for him. Um, but at the same time, I just don't think it's as cut and dry. And again, this goes back to kind of the extreme liberalism where um, if you cross over a line, that's the line keeps moving to be more and more safe and more and more ironically conservative in terms of what's allowed to be, to be discussed or to be brought forth as in, in the court of, of ideas for discussion, then you're automatically branded as a, you know, one of those three, you know, the, 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 the bar is so low now to be a sexist, racist, or homophobic, homophobic person that uh, we're all afraid to, you know, discuss certain ideas that are even, uh, across the the yard in a room across the street from those because anything oh, that's totally. even close to association is like, then you must be, you've crossed the line. And like, well, when does, what is the line? And then can we talk about anything if it just keeps creeping up to, to encompass? Right, but, his, but his answer then is that there's not a line. There are multiple lines. It's yeah, yeah. And, you know, to, to me, he's no, exactly. kind of like that Dana Carvey character, the grumpy old man, if you remember <laughs> years and years ago. <laughs> old man and i don't like things now compared to the way they used to be life was simpler then there wasn't all this concern about hygiene 
In my days, we didn't have Kleenex. When you turned 17, you were given the family handkerchief. It hadn't been washed in generations, and it stood on its own. Filled with diseases and swarming with flies. If you tried to blow your nose, you'd get an infection, and your head would swell up and turn green, and children would burst into tears at the side of you, and that's the way it was, and we liked it. <laughs> you know, in, in, in my day, you didn't have uh, such permissive attitudes in our culture about polyamory. In my day, uh, one man, one woman, they were with each other forever, even during the hard times, even when it sucked. And that's the way it was. And we liked it. We loved it. You know, <laughs> it, 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 as, as the culture gets more and more permissive, I think this is what he was saying with the enforced monogamy, that it's more of a cultural thing than a legal thing not something where the government should step in right um but but right. just what, what what is the what is the response when uh you know I, I i hate this whole donald trump pussy grabbing thing you know but like that that yeah. the response to that when he's like oh well that's just locker room talk that's just the way the guys talk we're talking about uh, a permissive culture that kind of celebrates those things how do you regulate that how do you enforce monogamy or respect or, or you know whatever you want to say yeah um, yeah. cause I think his point, his, I think the point that he was making, that's an interesting point is that if you've got these, what's the word again? Um, in, Oh, the, oh, the, in, the incels? In, incels, the involuntary celibates, yeah. involuntary yeah. celibates. They can't get a woman because right. they're for whatever reason they can't, um, that if because the women are going after all the the educated good yeah men. yeah the, the, the <laughs> good looking educated that, men why. even even if this it's one guy that has like 20 women on the side you know he's married to one but he's got all these mistresses and the women are willing to be mistresses because they'd rather be with this great guy for a short amount of time than with a lame guy forever, you know? <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's so, an it's it's, it's, idea that he has for how society is working or not working. Right. Yeah. yeah right. So just as a critique of culture, right. it is a very grumpy old man kind of approach. <laughs> um, but I, I, I just don't think that we should ever um, be afraid of having discussions about things. And I never see him going over the line of like totally disrespect or attacking no. people. Um, you know, and and so when you see people starting to shut down, which which has been going on for a long time, and and get into these tribes and identity politics and all this stuff, it's just it's important to say, hey, what what is happening globally with our culture right now? As uh, the internet is allowing us to have conversations like this that happen, you know you know, Bob in California, me in Arizona, you in Norway, <laughs> Claudia, and we'll publish this yeah. and people will be able to hear it whenever, however. And then they yeah. have to think about it, respond it. Like, what is it doing to humanity? And what are the growing pains as we're getting there? It, it's interesting. And Jordan Peterson's a really interesting commentator. And he's feeling, <laughs> going he's through feeling a real niche. Time. Yeah. Obviously, yeah. He's, he's feeling a niche that, that people obviously... Right. Are, are hungering after. I mean, him and and Sam Harris and the you know the what, what do they call the intellectual dark web? Like <laughs> right. these are the discussions that that people. I think people who aren't interested in in just jumping into you know the the left or the right camp and want to be able to openly discuss these issues and uh, yeah, and it's hard. I because see the appeal. Yeah. yeah. 
It's hard because in the real world, I mean, nowadays it feels like more and more talking about these things in the wrong way, which is just basically yeah. talking about them at all. Um, it can have it can have uh, consequences. Most of the intellectual dark web is disassociated from the big media conglomerates, and they're all kind of independent. Uh, and and that's more what ties them than any sense of code or, or opinions that they're supposed to share because they're all over the place, actually. But the fact that they can just talk openly and not face repercussions from a mob who wants them to lose their job for the last thing they got wrong according to said mob i mean i still i I don't know i i'm still like a little nervous sometimes when we when we veer into these types of conversations even though i don't know that i'm saying anything other than just commentary on the commentary so i think it's somewhat benign but i i i feel that stress a little bit i don't know about about you guys of like oh if somebody at work listened to this and and like you know, the HR totally. department was like, you didn't adhere to the diversity pamphlet right. that you signed up to when you joined our, our multi-billion national, multinational company or whatever. I'll be like, oh, I don't know how yeah. to respond or what to say. And I, I don't think there's a huge chance of that, but I think it's, it's getting to be more and more problematic where everyone's looking over their shoulder wondering if, if their thoughts and ideas for discussion are totally bo- going to get them in um, trouble. And another big issue is the whole issue of Islam and immigration, because these are issues that, because of my experiences, and because I've seen both sides, I was once, you know, I considered myself a, a, a an activist for um, asylum seekers, refugees, and um, had a lot of contact with people here in Norway who I, I guess were very hard left. And ended up becoming so disillusioned by that um, because I I realized that I, I didn't I didn't think that everybody who comes here should just be able to stay because they can tell a sad story. Like I'm I'm sorry, I just I don't. Yeah. And I and I do see. Uh, I mean, I'm not saying that that it's a it's a majority of people by any means that that have dangerous ideas or who are not interested at all in, in integrating or contributing, becoming a contributing member of society here. But, but there are a fair number who I think do fit that description. Mm -hmm. And it became so frustrating to feel like I had to be so careful with what I actually thought. And, and yeah. And you, you know, you mentioned things like, things that you talk about on the podcast and you wonder who's going to hear it. And, and I, I've wondered about that, especially when it, when I've tried to talk to people about um, my experiences with, with Muslims and, and what I've learned about um, what I've seen and, and heard from some of them, from, from those who I, I didn't think fit the profile of someone who was at risk for having, you know, that kind of, mindset right and so it becomes so hard to discuss any of these um important issues because they become hijacked by either you know the the far left you know you're an islamophobe you're racist if you want to discuss these things or or you know what we're seeing on the far right is not any better no no so it's just tragic the, the the far right is the one that's kind of everyone has more experience identifying and, and nobody wants the slippery slope to, to that sort of stuff. 
Uh, but the far left is is more complicated because it's I'm less afraid to... now of the far right than I am of the far left. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. because because I think that the far the far right be, being right are more likely to keep things the way that they are, and even if they're not great, we're we're at least used to them. <laughs> Whereas right. the far the far left would make <laughs> radical changes that who knows what the domino effect is going to be. Yeah, and that that that's more frightening to me. Than I think than the the far right and the far left I think can be much more subtle. You know the far yeah. right are just so just so obviously yeah like you know. Nazi signs and, and like <laughs> there's like all the stereotypes like skinheads and we hate this group of people and then but most that's, the, that, that that exists on both extremes right on on the extremes yeah. like either extreme could be a Nazi either extreme could be a fascist it's we're talking about tolerance yeah. levels. Well, but how, how are now you going people to don't enforce? Even know the now yeah, but how are you going to enforce that you say this is the right way, and anybody who deviates from the right way is going to be punished? But that's the irony: is is the far right people are more educated on it because it's 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 historically it's been a it's. You mean that you mean the general people are the, more yeah the general people in the middle about what the far right is yeah the general okay. people in the middle kind of know their history lessons in terms of like Nazi Germany and, and the Holocaust and stuff and then they kind of associate that as a proxy for the far right and then when it when you talk about the far left it gets way more nuanced and people you know don't really have as as good of an example um, like Stalin and Lenin and. Yeah, but I'd argue Russia. that Stalin and Lenin in Russia is less understood than oh, okay. Nazi okay. Germany. Sure, uh, sure, sure. Yeah, if yeah, you're to prioritize what's taught in history, much more of a free pass as well. Yeah, right. Yeah. Um, I mean, was was Stalin any any better than Hitler? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, uh, Hitler obviously won in terms of uh, worst bad guy ever in the history books, but yeah. uh, not as not by as much of a margin as he deserves to win that title. No. If you th- if you think about it, but that I mean, I guess that's my point. As far left is is less understood or less um, analyzed or feared because for some reason it's like, oh, that's that's not going to happen. But I saw this skinhead in the street the other day, so we're almost back to Nazis again. And I'm like, well, I. <laughs> You know, the other one that you think will never happen, maybe it's also in the streets, just more, less, less you know, it's, it's not easy to identify. So the, I want, the far left is, is, has a, often has a nicer package. It's less abrasive. It's, you know, like here in Europe, you know, it's open borders, just love everybody. Everything will just work out. And you'll only be punished if you don't love everybody like I say yeah. you should. It's like, wait, what does that mean? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and don't, so, don't talk about any of the problems, right? right. They'll solve themselves. <laughs> don't worry. Just keep your mouth shut and don't say anything wrong. And your job is fine. And it's like, yeah, that, that doesn't feel like any better. <laughs> so I, w- I want to try a thought experiment that I haven't completely thought all the way through. So I'm going to need both of your help on this. Um, all right. Okay. And I, I, I want to... I, I, I'd love at the end of this to be able to say, so don't be like the Mormon church. Um, okay. That, that, that's, that's the goal we're shooting for. But so I'm wondering if, and look, I'm inserting this right here as I'm editing this episode because I was so unclear with Claudia and Bob on what I was trying to get at. 
I want to let you know ahead of time. What I'm trying to say is, did the Mormon church start off as a far left liberal leaning organization and move all the way to the right? Is that what we're seeing is this shift from extreme left to extreme right? So keep that in mind. Try to follow along with what I was saying for this thought experiment. The, the, what happened starting with Joseph Smith and all of the excitement around early Mormonism and this idea of personal revelation that the heavens aren't closed. There's a prophet today and that, that you, you know, can, can actually commune with God and, and have this, and there's all this excitement around it. People come to Kirtland and then as people are having their own personal experiences that are kind of going against what Joseph Smith and other leaders are in order to consolidate power. There's all these, you know, stories, priesthood restoration and things like that. And, and they get enforced, but, but so what, and, and that ultimately what happened is it started off with this very liberal um, in, in the true sense of, of liberal, anything kind of goes with your communion with God, just, be good, love people, whatever. And then these, this kind of strict culture of obedience to the leaders where you shut down, you know, like we pay lip service to this idea of personal revelation, but it's only legitimate personal revelation if it's really obedience in disguise. And that's what it's become to now and kind of like this regime thing. And that that's, it's not that that's something that's unique to Mormonism. It's part of human nature and group dynamics. And you could say, you could see something similar happening in politics, maybe. I don't know. Is that, is, is, is that a thought experiment that has anything to it? Or am I just really making a stretch to try and tie this to something Mormon? No, I think, I think so. I, I think in the same way that we're, we're kind of getting a backlash as a result, you know, Trump is, is a manifestation of that, n- never mind the, the persona of the person himself, but just the, the, the people who a good chunk of them who voted for him as a result of this overcorrection towards you're being a good person the wrong way. You're not doing it right. You know, this overt political correctness overrides all other aspects of society. There was a real backlash against that. And and now we're going back to, uh, you know, this more conservative approach, but, but Trump is weird. So, because he's also all over the map. Um, where where does Trump fit in like the the Kirtland era Mormonism analogy? Is he like the guy that has his own <laughs> peepstone that's getting different <laughs> stuff, or like? Yeah, good question. Who who are the other uh, candidates for prophet when Joseph Smith died? I feel like I feel like one of them is Hillary Clinton, one of them's Trump, and no, <laughs> this is where it breaks down. Yeah. <laughs> so people would be like, "What? Brigham Young is Hillary Clinton?" No. Well, I, I think I, I, in my mind, at least, with this thought experiment, you know, Trump is one of many people that are claiming authority based on you know this this model of democracy or whatever we're saying. This is where authority comes from, and and there's facts, and there's alternative facts, and there's just chaos and confusion. And there was that time in Kirtland where there was a lot of chaos and confusion because people were claiming different or they were claiming different messages coming from a common source of authority. Yeah. And, and so, they were also like getting drunk on empty stomachs and that sort of thing. So you mix that yeah, in too. With, 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 with uh, psilocybin laced wine. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But, but, uh, but they, but then, um, you know, the, the, the solution to that was to otherize any of the, opposing, you know, to consolidate power, um, and really enforce this, 
like group think thing that now we have today that kind of snuffed out the things that excited um, early converts to Mormonism. And, and now it's just like protecting the flock and putting these strict gates yeah. and boundaries up there. And it's really intolerant and it's hypocritical. And we can see where, you know, you know, like the issues that caused us to go, wait a minute, this isn't really what it says it, it is in loving one another because it's, it's not doing that with yeah. different minority groups, but it still thinks that it is. And that that's where cultures can tend to go in uh, a, a, an authoritarian regime kind of thing that says, here's the rules. Don't break. I don't know. I, I, well, I don't the problem know. with the Mormon analogy, Glenn, is that there's no, there's no far left example in Mormonism. Right. So that's where it's sort of, you can't, you the, we can. Wasn't, wasn't Joseph far left when he started? Oh, 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 fair point. Let me think about this. Um, far like, left. Like, yeah. I mean, cause, cause you've got, you've got the, the conservative. Yeah. He kind of was. Time that uh, they're an abomination and. Right. And he was like, me, but their hearts are far from me. And, and he also had kind of the, like, be inclusive of everyone yeah. that I tell you to be, but not who are the people I don't like. Or, you know, I have a handbook for my inclusivity. Yeah, I probably way. wasn't clear enough in when I was setting up the thought example, but that that was the idea is that Mormonism started as this kind of far left example, even uh dabbling with um you know communism in in the United Order and yeah, a lot of concentration stuff. Like idealistic, just people will get along, just people will will naturally because of love and because of God and They'll all do, do the right thing because it's the right thing to do. And then human nature comes in and, oh, we've got to control this now to force people to do the right thing, even though that's like what our big villain Satan did in heaven. We're just going to forget about that part, <laughs> that kind of thing that we said don't do. And uh, it's true that Joseph Smith really did set it up for failure in the sense that like, you know, everybody can get revelation and let's let's come together communally and all have these shared experiences and as soon as people were having experiences that didn't correlate with his idea and vision then he started swinging the other direction like no 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 i mean yeah we all can do this but some of us can do it lesser than others well and people get a taste of power and the status that comes with that and certain you know yeah. lifestyle upgrades that then you don't want to let go of yeah i think i think so and i think this I mean, not to, to keep forcing analogies on top of analogies, but this goes back to what Claudia was saying at the beginning, which is the ex-Mormon trajectory feels kind of similar in so much as we all have the experience with feeling like the church around our neck and just choking us. And then all of a sudden we're like, now we're free and, and hippie style. We love everyone. And that just goes on for a few years. And then as you start learning things, you realize like, well, there's, there's still ways to organize and better ways to have principles and values and responsibility than others. And then you start getting criticized for not being as completely free as you maybe thought you wanted to be when you first got out. Um, yeah. So I, I think it's kind of an ebb and flow and all, all forms of organized humanity, be it Mormons, politics, ex Mormons. I think we all sort of bounce back and forth in this spectrum and hopefully don't hit either of the extremes too hard as we're exploring where we want to balance out. 
And maybe that's what the Lord is trying to teach us um, for, through the Nephites and the, the stories in the Book of Mormon, the cycle of prosperity. Let's bring it back to the manual that we have open here. Right. <laughs> what are the teaching points that we were supposed to convey by bringing this all up? After six years of infants on thrones, people still listening. We fooled you. <laughs> we're really trying to bring it back. We're trying to bring you all back to the Book of Mormon. I love that, Glenn, you're the one on this episode that's like, but let's bring it back to Mormonism as a Mormon themed podcast, <laughs> just <laughs> lest we be criticized for talking too much about politics or, uh, I like it though. I think it's good. Yeah. I, it, and it, and it's, it's not, it's not really because I'm worried about being criticized. It's just like trying to think about where people are when they tune into this, um, episode and, and the issues that people are really still dealing with, I think in a lot of ways are still Mormon issues. And if you're able to, to map, these things that are going on in larger society to some of the things that we experienced in the church, even if it's a sloppy mismatch, it could be helpful possibly. So that's what I'm trying to do. Right. Yeah. Makes sense. Yeah, sure. Uh, You know, a lot of the things that Jordan Peterson talks about, you know, in this so-called enforced monogamy and, and um, his view on, on sexual morals and things. I do sometimes find myself thinking, well, maybe, you know, it wasn't so wrong in Mormonism, you know, things maybe are getting a little, people are a little <laughs> too loose. <laughs> and, but, uh, but I think, well, wh- what is the view of Mormonism again? Because, you know, with our history of polygamy and I, oh, it, if I could go back in time, I'd, I'd love to set up a, a debate between Brigham Young and, and Jordan Peterson, you know, enforce monogamy versus uh, monogamy is the downfall of the world. <laughs> what destroyed the, 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 um, uh, the Roman Empire? Isn't that what Brigham said? I think so, yeah. Monogamy, <laughs> monogamy was the downfall of the Roman but, Empire. But I, I want to double click on something you just said, Claudia, because I think it's really interesting. Mm-hmm. When you, when you framed the question or posed the question, I mean, what, what is it about Mormonism that, that is so bad on this topic particularly? And I think yeah. we often conflate a couple of things because I think on the one hand, monogamy as kind of the backbone of organized society, you know, never mind that it's somewhat rooted in uh, women as property and all that stuff. But as it is today, <laughs> the concept yeah. of one man and one woman committing to each other for, for an, their entire life for an extended period of time. Um, you know, when I first exited the church, there was a part of me that thought like, oh, I was tricked. I got married early. I mean, this is so dumb. Everybody should just be this free flowing yeah, Love I think you did an episode of, on that. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> everybody, everybody should just ebb and flow and in, in and out of love with as many, you know, uh, mates as they want. And we all just share communally in some hippie way. But then now going back to like, you know, monogamy isn't actually a bad system of organization per se, but it's just the way that it's enacted and the consequences for breaking it in certain cultures. So like, it's right. not that Mormonism likes monogamy and, and, and pushes it as, as an approach to life that's the problem. It's how, how awful they are when somebody violates, violates it as the recommended path. Right. Like, I don't know that I, I, I'm mad at Mormonism for saying monogamy is the way that the world should work. I'm mad at Mormonism for saying, and if you have sex outside of marriage, 
you know, you don't get to go to BYU for five years or, you know, you, you don't get to be part of the community for X amount of time. You have to wear a scarlet letter basically, and you can't take the sacrament and you have to do Mm -hmm. bishops interviews. Like that's the bullshit. It's like, it's like overkill on the implementation of the punishment, not that it's a bad idea in the first place. And that's a distinction that I think we sometimes lose is because we just sort of put it, roll it all into one and then, and then are like, monogamy is stupid. And it's like, well, it's not yeah. that monogamy is stupid, but it's the way that Mormonism approaches it that's kind of stupid. So I, I, have, I have another kind of side tangent to, to pile on with this one. Um, have you guys seen the TV show Freaks and Geeks? Uh, only some of it. I, I didn't oh. go all Oh, my God. It. I know, I know. I, I, it's, it was before I was doing TV as much as I do. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's on Netflix. You can, you, you I can, can go back. Power. Yeah. It, it's, it's fantastic. It's such a great show. But um, th- this kind of highlights um, some of my shifts that, that echo what you said earlier, Claudia, about, you know, is Mormonism really so bad? You know, and, and whether we're talking about monogamy or we're talking about things like, um, you know, the, the lessons where you have, you, you lick all of the butter off of a piece of sandwich and you tell <laughs> kids, oh yeah, you don't want to be a, a, you know, like a chewed piece of gum or you don't want to be like this. And, and as ex-Mormons, we're really like, oh, that's so stupid. You shouldn't do that. You should be, you know, like what more permissive, maybe not permissive, but you know, just like not, not such a dick. Don't be such a dick. That's a dick move. Don't say things like that. You know? <laughs> so I had well, it's usually targeted to that. women more than men too. Sure. Part. Sure. Yeah. There's all kinds of reasons why we have that kind of reaction. But so the, the TV show freaks and geeks, and, and I'll, I'll try to keep this as spoiler free as possible. <laughs> I think you're fine. <laughs> but, but um, so, so one of the main characters is this high school girl named Lindsay and she starts hanging out with the wrong crowd. She's a really good girl. She's a mathlete. She's very smart. That's right, mathlete. Mm-hmm. And, and uh, she starts hanging out with these burnout, druggy losers. And her parents don't like it. Um, you know, and, and as you're watching this kind of go through, like the first time I watched Freaks and Geeks and I was in this more liberal mindset, I'm like, yeah, that's right, Lindsay. You stick it to them. You show them that you can be friends with anybody and you're not going to judge people just because they're you know, smoking joints and having sex and as teenagers and, you know, doing all this stuff. But the, <laughs> but the problem is it's a real cautionary tale. She keeps getting into all this trouble. And, and the, you know, so there, there's this, this episode where she, she uh, starts dating Nick, um, who's Jason Seagal played by Jason Seagal. <laughs> and, and um, so like everybody around her, like all the adults, like the teachers in the school that see what's going on and the guidance counselor, who's this awesome hippie guy, uh, he's just this great guidance counselor. They, they give her this packets of uh, this pamphlet about how to deal with teenage pregnancy. I understand you and Nick Andopoulos are getting pretty tight. How's that going? Mr. Rosso, Nick and I are just friends. That's all. Hey, no need to explain anything to me. I got it on in a van at Woodstock, so I'm not judging anybody. I just want you to know what you're getting yourself into. I mean, when you're a teenager, your emotions are running high, and it's easy to get confused. I want you to have this. And he hands her this little pamphlet that says, like, dating, sex, and you. And she's just mortified. Oh, my God. Come on, don't let the pamphlet freak you out. There's some good stuff in there. It's just that you've got to be careful these days. Yeah, I know, I know. Do you? I thought I knew too. Until one night I was checking out this discotheque. 
the one in the bowling alley on 15 Mile. I met this girl, she seemed really nice. We danced a bit, I kissed her, one thing led to another, and now I get sores on my lip once a month. Can I please go now? And it's like really over the top, like it's not licking the butter off of a piece of bread, <laughs> but it's close. Lindsay has a boyfriend. Oh my God. What? Who? <laughs> Someone sent her a red rose. He must be some kind of Romeo. Yeah, well, I'll say he is. Who the hell is this joker? He's just a friend. Nobody who's just a friend sends a single rose. I know all about single roses. I sent one to your mother and I know when and why I sent it. Harold, It's not another one of those burnouts. No? Was, Nick, was he the one that ate all my fruit roll-ups? Well, you said he could have them. No, I, I know. I... Well, you'd better know right now that your mother and I are not taking care of some wedlock baby while you're off gallivanting at college. Dad. I'm warning you, Lindsay. I absolutely forbid you from seeing this boy. We just want to be sure that this boy respects you, honey. Not all of them do, honey. Tell her about Korea. One day, I uh, went into Seoul on a, a weekend pass and I went to this bar. And I had a few too many. And I followed a couple of my buddies to the Red Light District. Your father's first time wasn't special. And he's always regretted it. It was the worst $5 I've ever spent. And I wish I could get that $5 back. <gasps> Come on, please stop. And it's like they're, they're doing all this heavy-handed stuff. And she's like, gosh, the, you guys are crazy. I'm not going to have sex. I'm not ready for that. You guys are, you guys are being square or whatever. And... And I was kind of with her that first time a couple of years ago when I first watched Freaks and Geeks. And then this last, I, I was watching it just last month and going, the teachers were actually right. You know, the teachers were actually right to scare her about this because she, she didn't know. She didn't. And, and that this is really what Nick was planning. This is, this is what he wanted. This is what those friends do. And there are these consequences that you, you might have these teaching tools in, in, in a culture that are trying to keep kids safe and on the right path or whatever that you can challenge and you can say, oh, this is sexist or unfair because of this reason or that. But if it's really protecting the kids, if it really is um, in the better overall interest of the culture because she's not going to get pregnant before she's ready and then have a child that she can't really take care of and then have all of the issues of that kid growing up without the full attention or whatever of a, a mother who's really, you know, I mean, there's actually some really good reasons to be more conservative in those areas. And so that, that's where kind of my, my, um, uh, sensibilities have been shifting. I think, I think you mentioned something earlier, Claudia, about like going kind of like a full swing going, you know, out really yeah. real and then kind of coming back more towards the center. And I think mine has started doing that too. I, you know, the, the right. Jonathan Haidt stuff, you know, the righteous mind where I, I looked at this yeah. data that he has that says you have people that are on the left are really concerned about these two of the five main pillars of morality, you know, the, the harm and uh, you know, the, the loyalty, whatever they, they were, but people that are conservative are more balanced, concerned about all five of them, not as high and as extreme as some of these others. Yeah. Um, but so it's not that 
one side is moral and the other side is different. Yeah, I don't know. You know, just that whole, I, it's taken me down this interesting path. I didn't expect. After reading Jonathan Haidt, also because of you, Glenn, <laughs> and also Sapiens, another Glenn recommendation. Um, yeah, I, I definitely get what you're saying because um, it really, I had a lot to learn about human nature and about the way people think and just how primitive we still are in so many ways. Mm-hmm. Yep. I really took that away from Sapiens and yeah. uh, in relation to whether it be, you know, our sexual habits as monogamous or polyamorous or whatever, or, or politics. Um, yeah, I definitely see the right from, from another pers- perspective now than I did even just a couple of years ago. Yeah. And, and, and how, I, I don't really know this Hume is ought argument. No, it's, you know, it is or ought. Yeah. I, I've I heard think, it so many times I still don't get it. I think yeah, I, think I get explained. the gist of it that, that like you say, well, things, things are a certain way, but they shouldn't be. They should be this way. I think that's, and, and whether you're on the ought, they ought to be this way, or you're on the is side, I think that's what it means, but I could be, I could be wrong on that. But, but I do think that there is a, a problem um, on that kind of far left side, at least where, where I've been thinking things should be better. They should be different. If, if yeah. I was, if I was going to be the God of a world that could design uh, the way that a world was, I would design it better. I would design it different. I would design it without all of the suffering. I would design, you know, without <laughs> the, the rapists and, and you know, all this. And can you, I mean, is that, like, sure, that's a great fantasy utopia, but that's not how things are. And so when you're, you're talking about um, how primitive we still are, you know, the, these things that you can learn just by understanding the way that we've evolved and the different drives that we have for all kinds of stuff. I mean, it, it seems like there has to be a healthy tension between that is and that ought, but you can go, you can go to the extreme on the ought and be totally out of touch with things that are that really are, or you could go really extreme on the the other side, the way that things are, and not push for change that is important change. Um, so yeah, it, it is kind of like this going back and forth and trying to to understand it and find your place in the world. Yeah, I still I'm I'm still wondering what the comment will be the criticism comment will be after this episode will be like, Oh yeah. If it's on thrones, they're just, they're just shills for the intellectual dark web. They, they can't make up their mind. They're not on the right side of history. They're too, they're too wishy-washy. They like both. They like everything now. I mean, they're I really remember when preoccupied I was, by people's comments and responses, Bob. Well, you know, I, I didn't want you to be the only one who was, I'm not. <laughs> well, you what do you mean? You're not, you respond in, in verbal form at the end of episodes. That's, that's Sometimes. somewhat preoccupied. Yeah. But I mean, if it, if it, if it's something that kind of spurs what I think would in, in the moment would be good material, but yeah, no, I, well, yeah, you're probably right. I probably just uh, I am just as much. Well, as and you probably caught me being like you or whatever. It doesn't matter. <laughs> uh, I, I guess I'm just saying uh, I, whenever we go non-pure ex-Mormon topic conversations, I, there's always like some kind of pseudo pithy sum up of why infants isn't equipped to, to talk about anything other than ex-Mormonism. And I'm just foreseeing what that, what the flavor of that comment is. Cause yeah. I always find those kind of entertaining. Yeah. This idea that we shouldn't talk about anything that we 
don't aren't completely certain about because we've done all of the research and we know everything that everybody said about it and we, we get the right response to it. Hopefully it helps that I'm not a white male. <laughs> well, you are a little bit too male for this conversation. Yeah, yeah you already admitted it yourself. That earlier. <laughs> oh, gosh. Yeah, we, we still somehow, with the diversity we have here, we probably, just not enough intersectionality. Uh, right. So we can't talk about anything. Really. So, so, so let, let, let's have one final topic and then wrap it up. Um, I, I want to know from you, Claudia, since you said that you're a faithful listener and, you know, you can't see yourself ever not listening to him. <laughs> what, what, what are the things that you want to hear? Like what, what, uh, you know, you, you, you said something earlier about how you think that you've gone in a similar direction that the podcast has gone. I'm curious what that direction is and what you kind of see for the future, what would you, you would want for the future um, with this podcast thing? And would you, would you want to hear an episode like the one we just recorded or is this shit? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I don't even know what it is, to be honest. I mean, I mean, when I started listening to Infants, I probably couldn't have imagined it being the way that it is now, but I didn't imagine myself being like that either. Mm. So... So I think it's hard it has to project to the future, a, is what you're saying. Yeah, yeah. I, I think you sort of have to go with the flow, um, and yeah, a couple of years ago, did any of us think that Trump was going to be president and, and that the world would be the way that it is today? So much has happened, and yeah. I think infants just has to live its natural life i guess and i think regardless of the the direction that it goes it's always going to somehow relate back to mormonism mm. because yeah. it's it's our <laughs> our ptsd in a way you know mm. like everything is related to mormonism somehow for us right and i, I also feel like that's where well, speaking for myself, but I think, Glenn, you might agree, and some of the other infants, I feel like we have the most confidence when we speak about ex-Mormonism. When we start veering off into these other topics, we're exploring. We, we know that, you know, we, we joke that we're infants when it comes to Mormonism, or at least the concept of, of exiting Mormonism and discovering life outside of it and everything. But we're actually pretty good at that, I would say, if, if that's allowed to say by the person who's doing it. I don't know. But, but then it's when we veer off into these other topics that it, it gets a little scary because, you know, I, I probably did say things that somebody could point out that could have been articulated better or I missed something. And not that I don't miss those things in, in ex-Mormonism land, but I just feel way more confident and it's more comfortable. But then it's also kind of getting to be more boring because it's like we all know the 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 whole we know, we all know the basic beats of mormonism and why it doesn't work and why we're trying to do something else now but then trying to figure out what that something else is that's a much harder discussion that does have a lot of landmines uh more so than just like bashing mormonism for the nth time right i think the important thing is to always be willing to um to change your point of view, to do a complete turn, because I I have <laughs> several times in my life. I feel like I'm a bigger I'm a bigger flip flopper than Mitt Romney. <laughs> I was just so, I was wondering how long before the Mitt Romney reference would come out. Yeah. He got so much flack for that, which is so funny yeah. compared to like how the world works today. It's like if that was our biggest problem five years ago, <laughs> Mitt Romney flip flopping. It's like 
please, dear God, I will believe if that can be our biggest problem again. Somebody changing their mind. Isn't it unfortunate, though, that 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 scene is like a negative thing for so many people? I mean, okay, I do think that Romney... I mean, flipped to the wrong side, but <laughs> for the most part, but, um, you know, uh, oh my goodness, like, oh, I think of my life the past, just the past decade, I've gone from being like TBM to, you know, this long and excruciating exit from the church and then um, going through, yeah, sort of my, my leftist hippie phase out of Mormonism and, um, and now just, I don't really know where I am. Yeah. How would you self-identify yourself? I always like asking this question. If somebody says like, Claudia, where are you on the political spectrum or, or Mm. I guess that's the best way to frame it. How would you phrase it? On the, on the political spectrum, I, I, I'd have to say I'm, I'm, I'm in the center because I, but at the same time I could go, I guess it depends on the issue. Yeah. See, I like using the yeah. same words that I used before, but then having to clarify what it means because then people are confused. Cause I still like yeah. calling myself, I call myself a left leaning independent. And then, you mm-hmm. know, you might hear some of this where we're sort of the pendulum is swinging back from the left to the center. Yeah. And it's the same way that I like to, I like to annoy feminists by saying I'm a feminist too, because, yeah. because, you know, I stand for e- equality of opportunity for men and women right. because, because, um, depending on what kind of feminist, uh, I'm talking to, they might really be like, no, you're not according to me. You're not. And I'm like, well, <laughs> yeah. sorry, you don't get to decide. I get to say who, what I am. Um, <laughs> and it's the same thing with saying left-leaning independent. It's like, well, well, if, if you get to say what you are and they don't, how is that equality of opportunity, Bob? I mean, come on. <laughs> oh, you on. got me. Jeez. <laughs> if, if I don't comply to everyone around me, I mean, <sighs> they don't even get a say, they don't even get a say. Yeah. In their observations of what you are, <laughs> you know, if only I, they would, uh, if, if only they were willing to concede the point that if they get to identify what I am, then I get to identify what they are. And nobody likes, <laughs> let alone a woman, <laughs> let alone a woman, <laughs> let alone a woman, <laughs> let alone a woman. Rest let in peace, Bob. We hardly knew you. kind of one of those ironies you know i i can't really say that i would identify as a conservative and, right um i could say liberal but liberal has a lot of baggage now <laughs> that term I, sure. I don't consider myself a leftist um and i i can't really say um i i might have libertarian libertarian leanings in some things but oh yeah I libertarian call myself that either so i don't know whether i could say i'm classically liberal I I really like socialized healthcare, but I'm not a socialist. So I do. <laughs> and I'm it really I'm depends on, on the topic, right? And, and environment, and in that sense, I could be pretty far left. But I'm, you know, more agnostic or even critical of of immigration, at least in Europe, and and I'm perhaps a little more conservative on on that when it comes to that issue, but I, I, I don't identify with, with the far right either. So, wow. Yeah. What yeah. are we politically? I, 
really depends. I mean, no, you, you gave a bunch of good examples where depending on the topic, you might lean one way or the other. And then there's no all encompassing term that, that is like the matrix that is Claudia or whatever. And I think that's part of the problem with uh, wanting yeah. to reduce everything down to like, what team are you on? And even though we agree that there's more than two, okay, pick from three or four. It's like, well, it's still hard. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, and as far as religion is concerned, I, I think I'm pretty secure and agnostic atheist. It's hard to imagine that ever changing, but yeah, I'll keep trying. I'll, 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 we'll have another conversation in like two or three years when you're believing in yeah. all of the, the, the space dust consciousness that we are. And, and yeah, I'll get that point out. So I was thinking one, one thing that could, perhaps shake that view for me um some of my favorite episodes um from infants on thrones were it did a couple episodes i think with space cowboy mm-hmm. and that really got me interested <laughs> in psychedelics did it and yeah I, I haven't done it but i um i wrote a couple of books on it and uh, one that sam harris interviewed the author recently michael pollan's yeah how to change your mind how to change your mind excellent yeah. book. very very good book yeah and that because I haven't experienced it, it's perhaps too easy to dismiss. Um, I don't know. I, if I ever do it, I'll let you know, and we'll talk about it. <laughs> yeah. See if it changes. There, there, you know, and, and there's there's a lot of different things that you can do, uh, like um, those uh, sensory deprivation tanks. Do they have? Yeah. One way. I no, I don't think so. But I, where did I? It was in a book, I believe. Um, I heard about this woman who went on a, a 14-day darkness retreat. Mm, like complete geez. darkness, wow. yeah. And she had done psychedelics, but she found the, the darkness more intense or more... Oh, yeah. that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like face your terror. Totally, totally changed her Hardcore. life. Hardcore, yeah. 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 Uh, yeah, interesting. Yeah, no, I I, I have a, a friend who just went down and did like a twelve day ayahuasca retreat in Peru. Oh yeah. yeah. And by friend, do you mean your alter ego? Is that you? <laughs> no, I haven't been down to Peru. Um, but uh, he he may come on and, and talk about it at some point. I don't want to out him. Um, but uh, yeah, that, you know, th- things like that are really interesting. I, I've done the sensory depri- deprivation tank. I did that once. I got a Groupon for it. It's all right. I mean, <laughs> it didn't change your I life or anything. Bored. <laughs> I like, You're like, where's my phone? In there and I'm like, okay, is it time to get out yet? Uh, just, you know. Are we almost there yet? Mom, yeah. are we almost Scott there? Was the one that, Scott was the one that got me curious in that because he's like, yeah, I did it. And I was like, I couldn't tell where my body started or where it ended. And I was like, I just felt like I was floating in the universe. I'm like, well, that sounds cool. I want to try that. It just felt like I was floating in a bunch of salty water inside of a tank with a thing that closed over the top of me. Huh. Interesting. But, yeah. So what I got from this conversation is that Claudia is willing to try anything that we talk about. So So it's a good thing that you live in Norway, Claudia. You guys have expanded my horizons. I'm actually, if anybody who knows me listen to this, they would laugh when they hear you say that because I'm actually, put it this way, since I've left Mormonism, not much has changed about my lifestyle. Oh, really? <laughs> I'm still, I, I, in terms of lifestyle, I'm day pretty to day. conservative. <laughs> yeah. 
I think we all are more than we care to admit. Like it's easy to, well, it's not easy, yeah. but you know, you come on on podcasts and you're like talking about things at the margins and then, you know, you still put on your pants the same day and get the same type of coffee or whatever. It's not like <laughs> <laughs> our lives have changed that much <laughs> in, in the few last years. I mean, has, has Trump changed the day-to-day life of any of us? Just like yes. the day-to-day what? Yeah. Not really. My life's very different, but yeah. Because of Trump? I don't know if it's because of Trump, but um, there's an influence there for sure. But, I mean, it, it's it's more of like just my tolerance level of how much I could put up with consuming all of the news about what's going on. And I just had to turn it off. I just had to shut yeah. it off. I think I think it's been an influence in changing me politically. Yeah. And not in the way that it, that one would have perhaps imagined. I mean, it didn't make me want to go back to the left. <laughs> I, I can't even... That's the irony, know. right? I, yeah. I, I, like, I used to watch um, pretty regularly. I'd watch... Um, oh, oh, what's the HBO guy? John Oliver. Oh, yeah. John Oliver. Yeah. And I can't now. I don't it's really just, watch it anymore either. So, it's, it's just too... Ugh. Yeah, like, yeah. And, and like when Stephen Colbert will get on and he'll do like his Trump jokes and stuff, like I just, I guess I get disgusted with it. I'm like, okay, it's just a cheap shot. It's just like, I don't want to keep going to that well and then I'll, be I'll that be, person. Yeah, yeah. I'll, I know I'll be put in a box for admitting this, but the, the only one I really watch regularly anymore is Bill Maher. But it's yeah. usually, it's more for the discussions he has and the guests he has on because he, he, he gets really good. I, I like his format, mm. you know, and... uh although I disagree with a lot of his perspective, particularly, I still think his, his show of the classical fit into an hour type shows is one of the last ones. That's like actually interesting to me and not just. He's such an asshole though. Sure. Yeah. I I, 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 I agree. I used to, this is another difference, you know, from where I am today, from where I was a year ago, because I was listening to real time, you know, I, 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 that would be, that was one of the last podcasts that I really listened to on a regular basis. And then I would watch it every once in a while, but usually I, I just listen as I was driving or walking or something like that. And I just, I just find him so insufferable. <laughs> yeah. You know, like he doesn't smug. He's very smug. He doesn't, he doesn't change. He doesn't learn anything. He doesn't, he doesn't evolve. But he doesn't, but at least he facilitates an environment with, interesting discussion i don't want to defend him because I, I i hear you and it's he's not like a personality uh if, if i'm gonna defend or be a fan of someone here i want it to be sam harris not bill maher i just think bill maher <laughs> bill maher is ben one affleck of, oh gosh oh, that was great oh, ben affleck, bill maher sam harris that oh. was the best that's like it's such a good time capsule for what's wrong with yeah. how that was like the beginning of how not to talk to each other you know (laughs) that encapsulates what's happened the last three years nothing has has gotten any better than that conversation (laughs) yeah um anyway i don't know why i was going off on a tangent uh but uh yeah podcast these things in the name of bill maher (laughs) (laughs) it's all about the uh long-form podcasting that's that's where most of my consumption is nowadays uh much less anything on TV. So maybe that is because of Trump. Who knows? Yeah. All right. Hey, that is Claudia in Welv in Norge. Did you know that infants on thrones in Norwegian are called spädbarn på troner? Du kan kommentera den episoden på nettsidan infantsonthrones.com. Och visst du liker det du hörer? Gick för med fem stjärnor och skriv en kort anmälan på iTunes. 
det har jag gjort. For all you non-Norwegian speakers out there, you can comment on this episode on infantsonthrones.com. And if you really like what you hear, give the quorum a five-star rating in iTunes. And if you really like what you heard and you'd like to hear it continue, then please join us on Patreon, where for as little as $1 per episode, capped at whatever your monthly budget, you can say, thank you, Infants on Thrones. I like the time that you're spending. I want you to keep spending time doing stuff just like this. It's valuable to me. Plus, you'll get exclusive content that non-Patreon supporters just don't get. So join us on Patreon today. Please. Thank you. Er det noen som vil avslutte med bønn? Thank you for listening to Infants on Thrones. Infants on Thrones.